Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. You would open your Bibles to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Luke chapter 12. Uh, if you haven't been with us, we're doing a series called the Follow Me series. It's a study of the life and the ministry of Jesus in chronological order. So what that means is we're not studying uh, verse by verse, you know, book of the Bible like we normally do. That's typical for us. But we're, we're taking this time set aside to really look at Jesus's life through the four different perspectives that we have in the Word of God, the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're looking at uh, Jesus's life and chron- chronology as best as, as you know, the, the, the theologians can put it together. I didn't put it together. I'm just following a, a, a harmonies of the gospel chart. But, um, but the reality is, is that, you know, what you find going through a study like this is that Jesus taught his sermons more than once. You know, in the Sermon on the Mount, he said it more than once. Uh, he repeats those things because guess what? We need them to be repeated to us. And so we see that in the scripture. And so you might think like, well, man, I've read the whole Bible, so I'm good. No, no, you have to keep reading it. And you have to keep reading it. Jesus needs to continue to speak to you. You know, he needs to continue to shape you. And every time you go through a, diff- a book that you've gone through before, you'll, you'll get something different out of it. Maybe even God will change your theological position on things. I mean, you know, we're here as clay. We're asking God to just shape our hearts and to shape us into who he wants us to be. And his word will do that. It's a blessing to have his word before us. Um, as we come to Luke chapter 12 this morning in verses 49 through 59, Jesus is nearing his departure from earth. He's, he's about six or so, so months out uh, from going to the cross. And, and Jesus is now investing in his disciples. He's saying, you know, I'm going to be leaving now. I've done the example thing. Now I have to leave you with some, some teachings that I feel are, are going to be important for you to learn. And one of the things that he teaches them in Luke chapter 12, all the way through Luke chapter 13 verse 9, he teaches them about the urgency of waiting and, uh, and living for him and not getting lost in this world, getting caught up in the day-to-day busyness of life because that happens, doesn't it? You can shake your head like this. That means yes because it happens to all of us. It happens. And, and what Jesus is telling his disciples, if you're not careful, you're going to get sucked into the world and you'll, you'll get lost and, and the gospel will not go forward. He's saying beware. He's, this is a warning. Five different warnings that we find in, in, um, in Luke chapter 12, verses verse 1 through uh, Luke 13, um, verse 9. But Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And, and, you know, you think like, wow, way to go. What a way to go, you know, to go out, you know, in a blaze of glory on the cross. Not, not really. I mean, you think about what the cross was. It was, it was incredibly excruciating pain. You would literally just suffocate to death while you hung there in excruciating pain, probably limbs out of joint and, and all kinds. Of, I mean, it, it was a brutal way to die. And yet what I find interesting in is, do you know that the Word of God says that it was God's perfect will that Jesus would go to the cross? You think, oh, hold on a second. The perfect will of God for Jesus to go to the cross. Yeah, the perfect will. Yeah, there's, there's a couple different wills, I believe, in the Bible. There's, a, there's the perfect will of God, and then there's the permissive will of God. He's sovereign in all things. He works through all things. And yet, the permissive will of God is us making choices where we start to walk down a road, and he's not really saying, 
that's not the way I want you to go, but I'll use it and I'll guide you back. That's the permissive will of God. God is never out of control. You can never step so far out that he goes, uh-oh, I didn't plan for that one. No, he, he's in control, but it's the permissive will of God. He allows you to veer off path and he will try and bring you back, you know, but he'll let you wander if you want. That's the permissive will of God. The perfect will of God is you're walking smack dab in the middle of the road that he has for you. You might think, well, you just said that the cross was the perfect will of God for Jesus. Yes, it was the perfect will of God. You mean, you mean the Father put Jesus on the cross? Yes, you have to understand the bigger plan. It, it says in Isaiah chapter 53, verse 10, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. The New King James Version says, yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. The New Living but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and to cause him grief. It was the perfect will of God for Jesus to be crushed and to be grieved. Now, there's an incredible teaching in that that I can't go into right now, but, but there's a fragrance that comes out of that crushing. And there's a beauty that comes out of that grief that only God can make. Uh, the, what I want you to understand is the will of God won't necessarily lead you into a comfortable place in your life. Sometimes the will of God leads us into difficult places, but it's for a bigger purpose. What we know is God knows what He's doing. And if it's not His permissive will that you're walking in today, and you're in some difficult place, then know that God has you there for a reason. There's a plan. It's bigger than you can even imagine. Jesus was sent to the cross because God loved us so much, the Bible says, John 3.16, that He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. So, so God may have you in a place of uncomfort, in a place of maybe even pain, a place of torment, difficulty, and yet he's working something out in you, I would say. But also, maybe it's somebody else that he's placed you there for. Jesus went to the cross for us. He didn't go to the cross for himself. He went for us. And, and God may have you in a place today where you're saying, oh, I don't like this. This is not fun. This doesn't feel, this, there's no possible way that this could be God, right? Because I'm uncomfortable. And I, and I don't like the pain that I'm feeling and, and the anguish and all that and the grief. But God says, just hold on. I'll make it beautiful. You're going to see something come out of it. Maybe not in this world, but endure like a good soldier, he says. Fight the good fight. Continue on. Walk in my perfect will. That's what Jesus is doing. You know, it's interesting how I hear people say that well, Satan's trying to stop God from doing something because something bad happened. It's not necessarily that it was Satan. It could have been. You know, but, but here's what we know. Satan has no power over us at all. Like, he has to get permission to do anything in this world, actually. There's, you know, God gave him, gave him reign over the world, and yet uh, God is in control of the world. How does that work? Well, there's called, uh, hey, can I uh, do this, or hey, can I do that? You know, we see that in Job where, where Satan had to come to the Father and ask for permission to sift him. We see that uh, Jesus told Peter, Satan is asked to sift you, Peter. 
There's permission that has to be given. And so we have nothing to fear as it relates to that. And you know what? Let's not give him any credit at all. He's not to be feared. You know, yes, he's at work, and we don't want to be naive about the powers and the principalities of, and of, this, of this world. We, we sure don't want to be naive about that. But what we know is our God is greater. Our God is bigger. Like, and, and our God is in control. And so we just walk out whatever he has for us, no matter what it might be. Sometimes it's, it's really hard to understand what God is up to, but he's up to something, isn't he? He's up to something. And it's good because God is good. God's perfect will for Jesus was to go to the cross so that you and I could be justified before him by grace through faith. Uh, Pastor Bob taught last week. And what I loved about his sermon in the very first, you know, the first half of his sermon, he, he, he really hammered the point home. It's by grace through faith. That's how we come. That's how we continue. And that's how we'll leave this world, by grace through faith. There is no other formula for us. It's by God's grace through the faith that actually he gives us to believe. By grace through faith. So we continue on in that mode, by grace through faith. That's why Jesus came to the cross. So that we could, by God's grace, believe in the faith that He gives us in the One who would be crucified for us and who would rise again from the dead so that we could re receive justification. So that we could be forgiven. So that our sins could be not just covered, but cleansed and, and completely removed unlike the, um, the, the sacrificial system of the, of, of the day back in, in the Jews' day. Jesus sent His Son because He loves us and He wants us to believe in Him. And, and that's why He sent you wherever you're at. Same reason. Because He loves somebody there. He's placed His, his body somewhere for a purpose. For a minister to... You have been given as believers the ministry of reconciliation. So we sent you there. You might be thinking, man, I've got to look for another job. I don't like this place. These people are mean and all that kind of stuff. And yet the Lord is saying, no, this is where I want you. Because I need light in dark places. Is darkness good? Is darkness uh, righteous? Is darkness, you know, no. It, it's the opposite of who we're called to be. That's why God sends light into darkness to illuminate and to blow it up so that people can see him, right? That's why you're there. That's why Jesus went to the cross. God invades dark places. He invades dark places with his light. You are the light of the world because Jesus is in you. It's Jesus in you working out everything in your life. So really the weight is off our shoulders. We just need to, um, we just need to trust God in those difficult moments and look to him. And, and all eyes on him. And it's like, you know, you guys ever seen that, um, that movie, A Few Good Men? You know, in the, in the, uh, in the court scene where that the, the two soldiers are giving account of what happened when they, you know, during the hazing of that one soldier. And the one soldier is eyes locked on the other soldier and he's asked him, did you, did you do this? Did you do this? And he would not answer the, the question. His eyes were locked upon uh, the, the, the other soldier, and he kept saying, how, how, how? And when he nodded and said, tell them, he spoke. But his eyes were locked on him. He was steadfast 
in that moment until he got the nod. That's how we're to be with Christ. Steadfast, eyes fixed upon him. We're not moving until he tells us to move. We're not speaking until he tells us to speak. We are his. And we are called to work out whatever he wants to work out in our lives. And so, don't despise the uncomfortable times, Christian. They serve a purpose. Ask Jesus. I'm grateful for the uncomfortable times. Because none of us would be here today without them. God's up to something. Well, Jesus is, again, nearing the time when he'll go to the cross. He, he wants to warn his disciples about the temptation for living to today rather than for living in the future. We've already seen a couple warnings Jesus has given us. Already the warning about hypocrisy. Don't be a hypocrite. He also uh, gave us the warning about, um, about getting caught up in the, the, the things of the world. You know, don't be covetous. No, don't, don't covet things in the world. Don't desire them beyond what you should desire them. Unhealthy, like you, your life is dependent on getting this thing or that thing, whether it be a relationship or some material thing, whatever it is, don't covet because it will lead you down a path where you'll start to live for today rather than for, for eternity. Then he talked about being worried. He warns us about being worried. You know, if we're so worried about everything, we're not trusting God. And if we're not trusting God, then we'll never be able to fulfill the things that he has for us in our lives. We'll be jumping ship in every, every instance because we're worried about something. We need to trust the Lord. It'll stop you. You'll be so consumed by, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens? Those are horizontal concerns. God says, hey, you know what? Get your eyes vertical and don't worry about the ifs. You let me worry about those things. And, and two weeks ago, we came to the place where Jesus was um, telling his disciples to be faithful, to be faithful servants. And, and we really focused on the idea that Jesus is coming back, because in verse 35, as we talked about, you know, these are the things, the elements that you really need to have in your life to be ready for me when I return. What does it mean to be ready? It means that you're waiting expectantly for him to come. Like you, you, you're looking on the horizon always knowing that at any moment Jesus could pop through the clouds and say, get up here. We be gone as a church. He's coming back. And he was warning his disciples even then, hey, hey, be ready. Be faithful to what I've called you to. Um, we come to that. We're continuing that conversation today where he's telling his disciples, be faithful. Be faithful. And so... Uh, we come to Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 59. And if you would stand with me, we were going to read that. What an introduction, huh? It's only like 15 minutes, no biggie. But it's good, amen? Verse 49, I came to cast fire on the earth in wood that were already kindled. I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower is coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say there, is, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the, the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right? 
as you go with your accuser before the magistrate, make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, you will never get out until you have paid the very last penny. And Father, we thank you for your word this morning. We ask, Lord, that you would help us to see what you want us to see in this, Lord. We want to be faithful servants, Lord. We want to be equipped, ready for all the things that you have for us here on earth. But we don't want to get caught up on the, on the horizontal, Lord. Help us this morning to hear what your word would speak to us by your spirit, Lord. Maybe for those here this morning that don't have a relationship with you, that you would awaken their hearts to come to know you. That they would recognize their need for you. You're the only way. Jesus, you are the only way. And we thank you, Father, for providing a way for us. We ask you to bless our time now in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I've entitled this message, uh, Be Faithful, because that's really what Jesus is talking about. As I mentioned in verse 35, he starts this warning about being un an unfaithful servant. And he says, when I show up, if you haven't been faithful, it's not going to be a good thing. I want you to be faithful. He's speaking to his church. He's speaking to his disciples. I, I told you a couple weeks ago that he's going to turn to the crowd in a moment. And he does that in this passage. He turns to the crowd. So the first part of what he's saying, he's speaking to his disciples. He's saying, hey, you guys. He tells them you know, about being faithful in a couple ways. And, and Jesus uses his own personal experience to help us see what being faithful means. It means being faithful in the hard times. It means when, when the whole world's against you that you're saying, you know what, God, it's just, it's just me and you and I'm standing behind you and letting you fight the battle, but I'm going to be faithful with what you've called me to and I'm digging my heels in and I'm going to do what you call me to do no matter what, even if it means my life. That's what I'll do. I'll be faithful. So it, Jesus kind of starts off with a little testimony about what he, how he has to be faithful, talking to his disciples and then he turns to the crowd and he says, you guys need to be faithful. I've, been, I've given you my word. And you know how to look around the world and see oh, the clouds come and you can tell that it's rain, but you can't even see the things happening in my presence even. You're questioning whether I'm the Messiah or not. Paul wrote in, in, in Romans chapter, I think it's chapter 2, where he said he entrusted the, God, the, the, the oracles of God to the Jews. He'd given them that. He's given them the, not only the promises, but the prophecies of what the Messiah would look like. And this is a rebuke to those people about the fact that they're so, so intuitive about things that won't matter when he comes back, when you stand before the Lord, like the weather. That's why we want to get beyond the superficial conversations with our unsaved family members and friends because the weather plays no role whatsoever when we stand before God. And then he goes on and, and he ends this with a plea. He's saying, it's a plea bargain. God is giving you a plea bargain. He's saying, Jesus is saying, work it out before you get to court. Because when you get to court, the whole book is going to be thrown at you. You don't want that. There is no mercy when it comes to, to that, to the, to the courts. You get thrown to this court system, you're at the mercy of the court system. There is no weaning your way out of it. You are, you are at the mercy of that system. That's what Jesus is saying to them. So we begin this morning 
As Jesus calls his disciples to be faithful when you encounter distress. Look at verse 49 through 50. He said, I came to cast fire on earth and would that it were already kindled. Jesus is saying, I wish it was already done. I have a baptism to be baptized with and how great is my distress until it is accomplished. Jesus is setting the stage for us about, about the endurance that it requires to be faithful to God and the call that he has on your life. Notice Jesus said, I came. Now that's past tense, right? He didn't say, I come, present tense. But he said, I came, past tense. What does that mean? Why, why did Jesus say that he came? Because Jesus is in the midst of a mission. He isn't, he, this isn't just starting. Like His incarnation isn't the start of the mission. The mission started before the foundation of the world when it was already planned that, the, that, that Jesus would go and be crucified. He was, he was the lamb that was crucified before the foundations of the world. And so Jesus is saying, my mission started a long time ago. I've already been on mission in the world. I've already been active. I've already been doing things. I showed up in the garden when Adam was there. I walked with him. He says, you know what? I stood, Abraham stood before me in Salem. Joshua bowed down to me on the road to Jericho. I've been on mission. I've shown up in so many ways. I have come many times. And so I came is past tense in the sense that this is an ongoing mission. This is a long-term, long-term play for the Lord. This mission for Jesus will not be complete until the, Satan and his minions are tossed into the lake of fire and the world with it in the heavens and he creates a new heaven and a new earth. Mission complete after that. But until then, he is in process. And he, Jesus, at this point in time, the mission that he's being given is mission critical. If Jesus doesn't go forward in this mission, in this, in this particular part of the mission, it's over. The entire plan fails. This is the crescendo of the plan that God has for mankind. Because of the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, Jesus has to come and be crucified and rise again from the dead. If He doesn't do that, there is no second coming, right? And, and number two is there is no Christianity. There's no one to come for. There's no reason to come. It's over. As far as humanity relates, as far as salvation, it's over. There's no hope for anyone. But God, God said, no, I, I want to play that out. And so Jesus right now is in mission critical as it relates to his mission. Notice with me um, that it tells he, what, what he says he came to do. I came to cast fire upon the earth. Now, how encouraging. I know it's Mother's Day, so Jesus wants to encourage you this morning. Came to cast fire on the earth. Now, immediately, what does your mind think when he, when he says fire? What do you think? Destruction. What else? Huh? Purification. What else? Judgment. Those are the three words I wrote down. Destruction. Uh, purification. And judgment. And automatically our minds go to that when you think of fire. Because that's what fire does. That's, what, that's how, what it's used for. You know, you forge fire to, 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 to burn off, you know, impurities in, in, in metals and different things, whatever. Fire consumes it. It destroys. When it rearranges molecules and starts to oxidize and just completely destroys things, right? 
And, and there's a judgment also. When God's fire comes down on the earth, there is the point of God's judgment. His wrath is, is coming down on the earth. That, that, that's also true. And, and that, there's pictures in the Bible of that, of those things. But I don't think that's what this is talking about. Because of what Jesus said after this. And I wish it happened already. I wish it were already kindled, man. I wish that this fire was already on earth. And you can look at this two ways. Because we know what Jesus is going to say after that is he's going to be baptized with a baptism, which is speaking about the cross. So in one sense, we could say, well, Jesus just wants to get this over with because he doesn't want to go through the, the pain and you know, he just wants to get it all over with. You know, Kind of like when you're in a situation where you've got to tell somebody something or whatever, it's uncomfortable and you're like, let's just get it over with. You know, is he saying that? I don't think so. No way. God loves us, man. You think he wants judgment and fire to come down on the earth? You know, I, I think Christians think that. I think I, I, think I see people out on, um, in, in different venues with picket signs saying, God hates you. God wants to judge you. He wants fire to come down on. Why would he send Jesus if that's what he wanted to do? Why would he send a Savior if that's what he wanted to do? Because that's not what he wants to do. It's what he has to do. When you're God, you are multifaceted. You know, your attributes are many. And they all play a role into the decisions that you make. And, and God loves man so much that he would send his son. But at the very same time, he offers this extended hand of grace to us. He says, if you don't accept, there is consequences to that. How many of you parents in here love to give your kids spankings? You just can't wait. I can't wait to give my kid a spanking. I can't wait till you mess up. Yeah. Why are my kids raising their hands? I don't know. No. <laughs> you can't wait. No, you love your kids and so you spank them. You do it out of love. You see, what I think Jesus is saying here is this fire that he's talking about is the fire that is going to be a result of the cross. I think that it's talking about the fire of the gospel that is going to be spread across the world very quickly. Peter stands up the day of Pentecost, you know, and he preaches his first sermon. 3,000 people get saved. I believe it's a, the fire of the gospel that is continuing to spread today. Something that continues to go forward. And, you, you know, it's a result of the Holy Spirit as well. The Holy Spirit in the world, you know, he's, he's the one that makes the gospel make sense to us. He's our teacher. He's the one that draws us. He's the one that makes it, you know, it palatable for us. He's the one that tells us, look, he rebukes us. He pulls our beards out at times. He, if, you, if you're a lady, you probably don't have a beard, but you know what I'm, you follow me. He pulls your armpit hairs out or something. I don't know. But, but, what, but, but here's the thing. Is that, I don't even know where I'm at now. I totally lost my train of thought. I was thinking armpit hairs and I was like, oh, that's gross, man. Fire. You know, when, when fire comes down, is it the Holy Spirit? It's a picture of the Holy Spirit? It, not necessarily, because this is fire. Acts chapter 2, the Pentecost says that it was like fire. This is fire. I believe this is fire, the fire of the gospel going forth in the world. Because with no gospel, we have no reconciliation. With no, no justification, we're dead in our sins. And I believe that's what Jesus is saying. As he says this next, I have a baptism to be baptized with. This phrase is an idiom that means to be overwhelmed by, by some difficult experience or ordeal. To suffer, 
to undergo. Jesus is saying uh, before the fire can come that he must be baptized. He's saying that in order for that fire to come, I wish it would already be here, but something else has to happen. And that something else is this baptism that he talks about, which is speaking about the cross. When we think about baptism, immediately we think of immersion, like you know, going down in the water, coming back up. That, the word baptism can mean a lot of different things. That is one of them. It means to be immersed. But, but it also means to be overwhelmed. It, it also means to be... Um, to be uh, consumed or, or by some sort of, you know, uh, to be, where am I at here? It means to suffer, to, to, to undergo. It can be overwhelmed with a calamity or suffering. That's what being, what's being spoken of by Jesus here. Jesus is about to be baptized with the baptism of the cross. And notice, he's in great distress. It says he's distressed. That word means to press in and around so as to leave little room for movement. You ever been in a circumstance before where it takes your breath away? Where you can't breathe? Where your pain is so excruciating that you can't, can't hardly breathe? You can't move? You're paralyzed by the circumstances, by the pressure or whatever it's creating around you. That's what's happening to Jesus here. Jesus is distressed. He's saying this with his own lips. Jesus is saying... I am distressed. He was so distressed as, it, as it, uh, you know, the n- night before he's crucified that he sweats great drops of, of, of blood. It's, it's a condition called hematidrosis. And it does happen even today where people are overwhelmed with extraordinarily amounts of stress. And your body begins to kind of sweat blood. It looks like blood. Jesus knew the cross was going to be heavy, not only because of the excruciating pain, but also because of the the cup that he would face, which is the cup of God's wrath. He would pay for the sins of the world. It was the most horrific moment in all of human history when the perfect son took our wrath. Let me tell you something. No cinematographer will ever capture that on film. The moment when the cup of wrath was poured out on the Son of God. And then he said, it is finished. We will never fully comprehend what happened in those moments between heaven and earth, between God and Son, Father and Son. We try to pin it like the song says, I'll never know. How much it costs to see my sin upon the cross. Jesus paid it all for us. He tells us until it is accomplished here. And again on the cross he cried out it is finished. It was accomplished. The baptism Jesus is speaking about is the cross. And the result of the Christ being crucified and risen is a fire being cast upon the earth. And he was so eager for that that he said he would that it were already kindled, that it were already done. Jesus didn't come to judge, did he? He came to save. When he's speaking in this context, he's coming to save. He will come to judge one day. But listen, I think it's with a heavy heart. I don't think Jesus breaks the clouds 
on his horse and says, I can't wait to do this. How do I know this? Because I think the Bible gives us a little insight on the heart of God when it comes to wrath, when he has to pour out his wrath on man. Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? That's God speaking to man. Ezekiel 33, same context. God is speaking and he says, Say to them as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways. For why will you die, O house of Israel? That's the kind of heart that God has for us. That we would turn. We would turn to Him. We would turn to the cross. That we would see Jesus being crucified and risen again for us personally. And that we would receive that. That's His heart for us. The righteousness of God, the justice of God requires the wrath of God. He requires the punishment of God because if God lets us off the hook, then He's no longer God. He's no longer God. He has to be just in all the way, in all His ways. And when, when, when a debt is required, it's either satisfied or it's paid for in another way. Satisfied by some other means or you pay for it yourself. Jesus was distressed, but he saw the bigger picture here. He knew that there was something that would come out of this that would be so great, it would be so joyous, that it, that it even says in Hebrews 12, 2, that it was for the joy that was set before him. He saw the bigger picture on the cross when he was hanging. Do you see the bigger picture in your place today? Perhaps you don't. It's hard to see, I understand. But we have these examples of the bigger picture where God is at work, he's I mean, God is up to something. And Jesus trusted in that. He knew that. And you can know that too. We are called to be faithful in the midst of distress. Secondly, we're called to be faithful when division comes because it will come. Verse 51, do you think, this is an awesome Mother's Day uh, sermon, by the way. <laughs> do you think that I've come to, to give peace on earth? I'm going to destroy your families. Happy Mother's Day. No. Um, no, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, one in the house. So he goes on, he's talking about the house is going to be divided. When, it, when, when you come to Christ, there's something happens in you where light comes in and if your family is unsaved or whatever, you take light into darkness, what happens? Exposure. It's funny how, you know, if you're raised in the church or something, I wasn't, but if you're raised in the church and, you know, you, you're like, hey man, I just, um, you know, and you've been going to church with your family your whole life, and you come home one day, and you're like, I just got saved, and they're like, huh? What do you mean? You're not saved, you know? And, and what it, you know, you know what that does? What a conviction. What a conviction if everybody in the household was like, well, we're all saved. What do you mean? Well, no, no, I just gave my heart to Christ. I never, never really did that. I was just playing church. And when the real believer steps into that role, and he starts to talk about the experience that he has with Christ, and people that say they have that, don't have that, become convicted, there becomes division. Man, you're taking this stuff way too serious. Uh, I don't think Jesus would never want to cause anything to come in between us. You heard that one before? Well, let's just get along. Let's just act like, you know, well, no, I can't now because I have the Holy Spirit in me and I have to, 
when I see things, man, I have to say something. What, is that how a Christian would act? Is that how a Christian would parent? Is that how a Christian would discipline? Is that how a Christian would do this or that or whatever it is? Now all of a sudden you're like, whoa. There's conviction and so there's division in the home. If you come into an unbelieving family, some of you here are the only redeemed people in your family. And you go to a home, a home uh, uh, you know, some kind of gathering with your family, family reunion or holiday or whatever it is, and you show up and they go, oh, they're here. They're here. The Christians are here. They're going to they're gonna shut the party down. You know? Now listen, Jesus didn't say create division. I wanted you to be clear about that. He didn't say create division. As far as it relates to you, live at what? Peace with all men. Live at peace with all men. Don't walk into a situation trying to create division. Hey, put the beer away. Let's get this music off, you know. I don't like this. Hey, put some clothes on, would you? And you start to, you know, you start to go through and, and pick out all the flaws of your family. That ain't going over well. Don't do that on Mother's Day, please. Don't create division. It's going to naturally happen. Jesus just said when you show up, there's going to be a conviction that comes. There's going to be light. And light's going to shine in darkness. And, when, and you know, at the end of the day, people are either going to flee or they're going to come. They're going to, you're either going to attract people because they're interested. They, want to, they like the light. They kind of see what it looks like. They know who you were before. And now they, they see who you are afterward. And they're like, wow, look at that change. I want what they have. So light is a great, um, it, it, bring, it draws in. You see that with bugs, right? Bugs love light at night. So they draw to the light. Cockroaches, they flee from light. And we're, as Mr. Wonderful would say, we're cockroaches. If you watch uh, Shark Tank, he's going to crush you like the cockroach you are. Not really, but, but the reality is, is that some of your family members are, are fleeing from light because they don't want it. They know what you stand for, and they're like, I don't, want, I don't want that in my life. I don't want Christ. I don't want to change. I don't care who you are. I don't care what, what God's done in your life. I want to be who I am. I want to express myself or whatever. And you know what you do? You love them. You don't point out every single thing they're doing wrong. But you also, the Bible says, you don't have fellowship with them, right? I mean, there's a difference with unbelievers, friends or whatever it might be. There's a difference between fellowship and friendship. There's a difference between somebody who you're ministering to for the gospel's sake and somebody who you're con communing with because you're in the gospel together. There's a difference. Don't confuse that. You know, you're, 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 when you welcome somebody in your house that's an unbeliever, what, what is the point? for that to share the gospel the point of that is evangelism the point of that is to be an example in some way shape or form it's a ministry god has given you that ministry he's put people in your life so that you can have that ministry are you being faithful with it are you being faithful with that with with the unbelievers that come into your your path are you are you in some way shape or form showing them christ i'm not saying you, you preach the gospel to them every time they show up but are you being christ to them are you showing, Chris, when there are problems? Because I promise you, when they do go through issues, you'll be the first one they call. You'll be the first one they call. And, you know, practically speaking, 
if that's how you, if that's your mindset, they may not want to hang out with you. But what, what fellowship can light have with darkness? It can't. Light cannot have fellowship with darkness because you know what darkness is? It's the absence of light. That's the definition. Darkness is the absence of light. There's either one or the other. And hopefully the light is overtaking the darkness and revealing Christ in a way that is tangible to someone. Jesus said there's going to be divisions in your families. Don't flee from that. Don't create it. But at the same token, it's going to happen. You know, and we have to rest in the Lord that he knows what he's doing. And that when that division happens, you just start to pray. And you ask God if there's anything you can do to bring that back together because that is your call on your life. Do everything that you can do to live at peace with all men. Don't compromise when division comes. Don't pull back on your faith because somebody doesn't like who you are. You know, don't pull back on your faith when the culture starts to push you away. Don't pull back on your faith. That's when you need to live the, the, the most faithful. The culture's pushing us away, and we're either going to cave and compromise, or we're going to stand strong, unified as a body of Christ that says, you know what? We're standing in this world, you know, in love, and, you know, we're not going to be partakers of what's going on in the world, but, you know, we're going to continue to live in the world and share the gospel here. Be faithful, even when division happens. Next, be faithful when the world seems to lack desire to see. Verse 54, he also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it, will, and it happens. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky or the earth and the sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? Jesus, it says here, now turn to the crowds. He said, he also said to the crowds. So now the message is different. He's talking to the crowds. He's talking about the fact that they're great at being able to look at the, um, at the sky and interpret what's going to happen today. Wow, it's going to be a scorcher. They knew that from the wind. They knew, you know, they didn't have farmer, farmer's almanac, you know. They just went outside and looked up to see what was going to happen today, right? Jesus is saying, you guys are excellent at that. You guys do a great job at that. But you're hypocrites. You're playing a part. You're acting like you're something that you're not. You're saying, oh yeah, we're God's people. We're God's people. We're waiting for the Messiah. And the Messiah is there before you're doing all these incredible things. That God had spoke before. Beforehand, you've had these, uh, these prophecies. And yet you're, you're blinded. And it's not a lack of information. Do you understand that? There, it's not like Jesus is saying, oh, you didn't have enough information. Let me give you some more information. They had the information. They just weren't willing to receive it. They wouldn't act by faith on it. Is this the Messiah or isn't this the Messiah? When John the Baptist was in question, when he was in prison with Herod, do you remember that, what he said? Go ask Jesus if he's the one or, or should we expect someone else? That's an honest question. 
Are you the one? I think I see the information and I'm acting by faith, but I'm not sure and I don't want to make a mistake. Are you the one? What did Jesus say to him? Go tell him what you see. That the blind are seeing. The deaf are healing. The, the, the lepers are being cleansed. You go tell them that. That was, that was prophetic Isaiah 35 happening. The, and and, and when, when they came back and told John, no doubt at that moment he said, okay. I don't know what he said, but my, my thinking is the word of God was spoken. Jesus referred him back to the scriptures. Go tell him what he's seeing. Jesus is telling them, what are you seeing? Do you not see me doing the, the miracles that I'm doing? Do you not hear the message that I'm bringing? Do you not understand the scriptures? You're supposed to be the teachers. You guys have been given the oracles of God. You've been entrusted the oracles of God, and yet you're not acting upon them by faith. You hypocrites. You think you're better than everyone else because you're Jewish. And yet, and you're waiting for the Messiah, and he's here before you. The crowd was unwilling to receive Christ. Anybody know what that's like? Do we live in a culture where the culture is unwilling to receive Christ? Yeah, we do. We live in that place today. So how do we deal with that? We're faithful with the gospel. We're faithful with the gospel. We don't hold it back. That's it. I'm not telling anybody about Jesus. No more. You know, you act like Jeremiah, where Jeremiah gets all ticked off because people won't listen to him. And he says, that's it. I'm not saying anything. Jeremiah 29, 11. If, if I say I will not mention him or speak any more in his name, there is in my heart, as it were, a burnt fire shut up in my bones, and I am weary with holding it in, and I cannot. You try and hold the gospel in, it's going to burn you up inside because it's a fire. That's what he said. He longed for the fire to come, the gospel. Don't hold it back. If the culture doesn't want to hear it, that doesn't mean we stop saying it. Because here's the reality. You didn't want to hear it at one point in your life. One point in your life, you were like, I don't want to hear that. But some point, at some place, God orchestrated a moment where he was able to get right through all the hardness of your heart an arrow that goes straight into your heart and he spoke to you. And you said, I need that. We don't know who those people are. We don't know what moments they might be. But we've been entrusted the gospel. Let us not be like the Jews of Jesus' day where we are, we are being something that we're not. Where we're hypocrites, where we're holding back. We're not, we're not, we're not giving people the, the gospel that they need. Let us speak the gospel. Even though they may not want to hear it, we need to be faithful with it. And lastly, we come to a place where we need to be faithful with the plea bargain that's offered. Verses 57 through 59. And why do you not judge for yourselves what is right as you go with your accuser before the magistrates? Make an effort to settle with him on the way, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge hand you over to the officer and the officer put you in prison. I tell you, 
you will never get out of until you've paid the very last penny. Now, Jesus has used two parables here, two analogies that, you know, that, that would fit in the culture because he's speaking to the crowd. Not speaking to Christians here. He's talking to the crowd now. He's already told the crowd, you, you, you have enough information. It's not willing to act on faith with the information. Oh, by the way, there's a consequence for that. Let me, let me give you this analogy that, you know, when, when you do something and you're, and you're going to, you know, back in that day when you, would, when you and your neighbor would have a dispute or something happened, you would take it before the, the judge at the gate. You would just show up at a gate. There would be somebody sitting there and he would judge your matter. And guess what? What he said was the end all. You're not going to appeal it to the Supreme Court. You're not going to try and go around it in some way. We're not going to put all these things in place because you are at the mercy of that judge. And so Jesus said, work it out before you get there because when you get there, it's over. And, and then, and then the, the, if you're guilty, the, the officers are going to come. They're going to put you in prison and you're going to pay every single last penny that you owe. You don't want to be in that position. Work it out before you get there. What Jesus is saying to these people is, you need to come to Christ today. Don't wait. He's telling them that there is no time for you to, to piddle-paddle around when it comes to this. You need to receive me as Messiah today. The information has been given. Faith is present. You have to act on it. That's what he's saying to them. Don't wait. Because when you stand before the judge and not the Savior, the book is going to be thrown at you. You are going to be guilty of the entire law. Every single thing. And there will be no payment. There will be no restitution for that. It will be eternal damnation. Whoa, that seems kind of harsh. For 70 some years of, of you know, disobedience or whatever it might be. I'm sure, sure this isn't talking about maybe a little, maybe a purgatory or something. No, I'm, this is talking about eternal damnation. Jesus is making it very plainly clear here that you don't want to stand before the judge. He's talking to people who think that they're saved and they are not. He's talking to people that think that they're okay because they're Jewish. He's talking to people who think that they're God's people by name just because they're, they're heritage. And I would tell you that there are people in our world today that believe the same thing. I said a prayer and, you know, and, and so I'm saved. But my life's never changed. I have no desire to read the Bible. I have no desire for godly things or anything, but I'm saved. God would say to you today, you're going to face the judge. You don't want to face the judge. You know, the Bible tells us when we're saved that there's a transformation that happens in our lives. That you're made new. That's why it says walk in the newness of life. Like your, your life's totally changed. So if you're, in, if you're not in Christ today, or, or maybe you think you are, today would be the day to say, you know what, I want to make that decision. You might be going to church your whole life. You might have been raised in the church, and you're just like, you know, I'm just not sure. Well, you can be sure. You can be sure. You can, you can receive him today. I was just talking to Dan this morning. He was saying a guy that he went to church with for a long time, he ran into him. And... Uh, and, and, you know, the guy said, the guy's demeanor was changed and everything like that. And, and he said, Dan said, whoa, man, what's going on with you? And the guy goes, guess what? I got saved. And Dan was like, what? I thought you were already saved. And he said, so did I. So listen, change is the evidence of faith. 
Change is the evidence that Jesus has really come in. You don't want to stand before the judge. That's what Jesus is saying. If you're unsure today of your salvation, then you need to place your faith in Jesus. He is the plea bargain. The Father is saying, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to, uh, I don't want to condemn you. I want to save you. I sent my son. Here's the plea bargain. Take the plea bargain. Take the plea bargain. Maybe you've heard that all your life, but you've never received it because that's what it requires. Do that today. Don't leave here without making that decision. We are called to be faithful with the ministry of reconciliation that we've been given as believers. <laughs> you know what? I, I promise you the angels could have done a much better job than you or I. And they promise you, they're, they're probably wondering, like, why, why are you using these people, Lord? Why them? We could do so much better. Why didn't an angel share the gospel with Cornelius, but they had to send Peter over there? Because God wants to use you, and he's given you that blessing. He's given you that incredible privilege, that ministry of reconciliation. You be the one to be in the pocket between them and God. You can say, you want Christ? Take him. He's yours. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for this morning, and we're grateful for your love for us. We're thankful, God, that you were faithful to us when we are unfaithful. Your word tells us that even though we are unfaithful, you are always faithful, God. You will accomplish your purpose, and you will... You will continue to make us who you want us to be, Lord, regardless of what we've been, how we've been living. Today, you're calling us to that place of faithfulness ourselves. You're calling us to, to rise up and to be all that you've called us to be. Lord, I pray for my brothers and sisters in this place today that we would take that call seriously. That we would be faithful in the times of distress, Lord. It is hard. Ministry is hard. Life is hard. But God, let us be faithful. Lord, I pray for those who are experiencing division as a result of their salvation, as a result of their adoption into your family, that you would help them, Lord, to just rest in you, to not create more division, but to do everything they can do Lord, to bring light into the, those lives and not to stop being who they are. God, help us not to compromise our faith as a result of division. And Lord, for this world around us that doesn't want to hear anything about you, Lord, let us not grow weary in doing good. Help us, Lord, this morning to just be filled up. May there be wind in our sails to continue on to press towards the goal and to continue on with sharing with a world that appears not to want to hear and yet there are some that do. Help us to be faithful, Lord. And help us to be faithful with, with the plea bargain of Christ. That we can go into somebody who's bound by sin, addiction, whatever it might be, and we can say there is a way of freedom. And his name is Jesus. And God wants to offer him to you this morning. Lord, if there's anyone here that doesn't have a relationship with you, 
this is the moment, Lord, where they can call upon you as Lord, Savior, as their Messiah. We just want to wait for a moment. If there's anyone here this morning, would you just lift your hand up as we continue to pray? Want to receive Christ for maybe the first time? Maybe you renew your life. I don't know. Is there anyone that, that needs that this morning? God's calling you. He's saying, you don't want to wait. You don't want to stand before the judge. Lord, you know all of our hearts, and we thank you that you are relentless with us. We ask as we close today, Lord, that there would be a special communion in our hearts, that there would be a charge, a filling of your spirit, and just an overwhelming sense of forgiveness, Lord, and love, that we might be able to meet a world that is dying without you. Lord, come, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.